0: This is the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org. You're listening to Season 7, and every week this season we bring you content about making disciples. Discipleship.org brings together other like-minded organizations, and we're all focused on making disciples. Our goal is to help you become a Jesus-style disciple maker. Today's podcast features Discipleship.org partner, Global Discipleship Initiative and their track at the National Forum called Turning Your Church into a Disciple Making Mission. The track relates to what can be called Church Culture, which is the way you naturally function as a church. Discipleship.org has a free resource on church culture to help you become a disciple making church. And you can download this for free at discipleship.org slash ebooks. It's a visual introduction to the book Disciple Making Culture. Download this free resource on church culture to get practical guidance on changing the culture at your church into a church that's focused on disciple-making as something you are, not just something you do. So go to discipleship.org ebooks and look for the Disciple-Making Culture Visual Introduction. The episode for today is called Intentional Leader, The Driver, featuring Greg Ogden and Ralph Rittenhouse. Take a listen.
1: How are we doing this morning? feel refreshed in the new day. So, uh, full day yesterday, so just a quick inter- introduction here. Of I'm Greg Ogden, my partner Ralph Rittenhouse. We won't take a whole lot of time giving you our bios. You can see that maybe on the second page of your outline. Uh, just a, uh, a few housekeeping details as we get started. So you should all have a information card on your seats there. And uh, we'd love to capture the information if you'd like to be in, in touch with us or we can be in touch with you to kind of keep you updated on what's going on in our ministry. You can see some options of what you, way you can stay connected. Uh, the discipleship intensive has to do with this particular brochure, which you can get at the table back there, which is a, a one-day workshop event uh, that we can offer in churches in our regions, uh, like a nine-to-three you know, kind of a, event on a Saturday. gives you kind of the basic outline of what we would cover and that and how who to contact. Uh, for that, so that will be available, and then you see uh, also it says online cohort, and I, gosh, I guess I don't have any of those, form you have any cohort forms back there, Regan? No. But uh, we have, uh, we started an online training for people who want to move their churches into becoming disciple-making missions, so that's why it's called Turning Your Church into a Disciple-Making Mission, we meet once a month online, uh, curriculum we have laid out, it's over a two-year process, because it, takes that long to get started on a change process within, within your churches. So if that's at all of interest and you'd like further information about that, please check that box uh, on that information form that's there. So um, today uh, you have a complete outline of our entire sessions because we've structured these that kind of be consecutive uh, so that one builds upon another. It gives you a picture of the whole process of what a successful disciple-making journey looks like. We are on page 8 on the outline uh, today, and uh, so if you could turn to that, and let me just give you a quick overview of where, what we have done so far uh, in our picture here that you see on the screen. So, this is what we have been building towards, and this is where we started. What's a successful disciple-making journey look like? What's a church look like that makes disciples who make disciples? And so we began with a picture of the Camarillo Community Church with Pastor Ralph, Uh, shared with us the journey of that church uh, over a five-year period of committing themselves to reproducing small groups that we call microgroups or quads. Uh, And over that period of time, uh, those little units that meet for a year, a year and a quarter, uh, around this discipleship curriculum that we propose is the Discipleship Essentials Content, 25 Lessons. And uh, the people in those groups are then, during that time, equipped to lead their own groups. So over a period of time, what happened at Camarillo Community Church, they went from zero discipleship groups in five years to about 130 to 150 discipleship groups, and it really took over the identity of the church. So we talk about this as an organic revolution from within. Uh, So it's a quiet movement. Uh, First couple of years, you don't even announce anything to the congregation. You don't get up in front of the church and say, sign up for a discipleship group. Because the whole idea is that people are invited in uh, to those groups. Uh, personal invitation uh, is at the core of that. So we'll, we'll go into that in some detail in this <coughs> session in terms of the role of the leader uh, in this. So that's the successful journey. We spent two sessions on this first one. So uh, a successful journey, you need a vehicle. You need some means of transportation, right? So we just have the image of a car here. And uh, we looked at two things under that. One was the environment of a, of a microgroup, but uh, went back to the foundations. Jesus' model of relational disabling And we ask the very profound question. With the model that is very clearly there in Scripture of how you make disciples, why don't we follow it? You know? And we, there's lots of reasons for that. You know, it gets washed out in the traditional understanding of what the role of pastoral ministry is. Uh, that has been passed on through eons, through Christian, Christendom. Uh, the role of the pastor is to care for the flock, which means show up in hospitals and, and have counseling sessions and be there where things go south in people's lives and maybe preach sermons on a regular basis. Uh, but there's no intentionality of discipleship. And it's oftentimes not modeled at all by senior pastors in the church. hate to say that, any senior pastors in this room. Uh, but uh, and, and if it's not modeled by senior pastor, it's not going to happen. Simple as that. Uh, So that is a very important aspect of what happened. The reason why it was successful at Camarillo Community Church was this man uh, said, we're all in on this, and I'm going to be the lead, and I'm going to practice intentional disciple-making, and I expect that of my staff, I expect that of our core elders, that's what we're going to become. The problem is churches don't want to be all in. Simple. And that's what needs needs to occur. So Jesus' model of disciple-making is what we follow. And then we looked at part two on this, which was that the micro-group was the environment for transformation and multiplication. And uh, so there are a couple things that come together in these smaller groups. The reason for the threes and fours is so you can have a transparent relationship. You can be open to each other. You can share what the real stuff is that's going on in your life. Because only as you apply the scripture to the real stuff of your life is there going to be transformation. So much of what happens in our churches is we have Bible studies. And Bible studies is usually focused on content or information, uh, but not in an environment of transformation or openness or relational connection. And so we want to maximize that. That gets maximized in a group of three or four. And then we looked at life change accountability as a second aspect of this relational environment um, for transformation that uh, we have a covenant we commit ourselves to. Um, there's a covenant in Discipleship Essentials that we, we follow uh, that says I'll complete the homework, <laughs> do it, and show up on a regular basis, um, and I will be open and transparent with one another, and uh, and then I will give serious consideration, the way we put it, to actually reproducing this process with three other people following the completion of Discipleship Essentials. So we build in the multiplication process, we say give serious consideration because If people have an experience, they can't say, I will do this, but uh, we want to have that in their minds at the very beginning in terms of that that process. So that's what we've covered uh, so far. I want to start with uh, some short testimonies that come out of the Camarillo Church, and I want you to listen for certain things as you're listening to these testimonies, and then we'll discuss them on the other end. But you'll be introduced to Sean, Leslie, and John, uh, and they will share a little bit about how they got into a microgroup. So you might want to listen for that. Secondly, uh, what misgivings did they have when they considered or started uh, into the to group life? They'll, they'll talk about their hesitations uh, in this. Uh, then what ultimate benefits did they derive from this experience? And then finally, becoming a leader of your own group is a big step. What allowed them to cross the line into leadership, to take that, uh, own that responsibility and then disciple others? So listen for those those testimonies uh, as we get
2: started. I didn't want to bother with it. I was happy coming to church on Sundays, but I think God convicted me and was like, "Hey, you really need to invest in, uh, in something else." So um, I I got on a list. Uh, Our pastor Jim called me, and you know pretty soon. In August of 2012 is when I started my quad, about a week before my master's degree started. and I was very nervous at the time because I didn't know what to expect and uh, I had to know a lot about the Bible and to speak Jesus speak and and all of that and I was scared. Well, in the spring of 2011, Jim Lawyer approached me and gave me a book on uh, discipleship. It was called Transforming Discipleship by Greg Ogden. And he, uh, you know, asked if I would be interested in thinking about praying about joining a group. I said, there's nothing to worry about. That's what the pods are for. You are there to learn about God. You're there to learn about the Bible. And there's nothing to be worried about. So I joined, and it was the best thing I could have ever done. It was just really encouraging. You know, it's like the Bible says, iron sharpens iron. Uh, sometimes I kind of dreaded going, like, oh, i got, I got to write a paper or something. But I never regretted going after. I always felt enriched. I always felt refreshed. It's always very uh, it was very rewarding going and hearing about what you know, the other guys were going through. And I was very supported um, within the group and we all support each other to this day. You know, after a meeting, like in the, in the days after, you know, the next day, you know, I, I could just feel a strength, you know, and peace that I didn't have before. It always... Seemed to be right on time. You know, the meetings would be right. You know, when I needed them.
0: I felt like there would be no way that I could lead my own quad.
2: My heart just changed, and um, within time, I did have to lead my own quad, and it was great. Throughout our meetings, you know, I felt more and more confident. Like, yeah, I can do. I can uh, lead. And before I started, I would have said, No, no, I don't know enough. I don't know enough about the Bible. I don't have the answers. What if one of my members, you know, they ask me such and such. I don't know the answer, but it's not really about that. Forming my own group it forced me to pay attention to the spiritual maturity of others and, you know, and, and not just focused on myself and what I need. And it, it, it forced me to invest myself in others, others people's lives. You don't have to be worried about anything at all. Just join FOD and... You grow and it's fantastic. Jesus made disciples, and we need to really um, focus on making disciples as well. Uh, Being intentional about it, trusting God to uh, to to help to lead us and help us to uh, lead. So, really recommend it.
1: Okay, let's talk about it. Uh, What did you hear? Um, How did Sean, Leslie, and John get into a group? Do you remember some of the things that they said? Personal invitation, yeah. Felt called. Felt called to be a part of that. Okay. Um, What misgivings um, did they have when they considered and started in the group life? Especially Leslie, you remember what she was saying in terms of that? uh, What did she say? She she was equipped. Equipped, and she said, I didn't have, didn't didn't speak, Jesus speak. <laughs> what what is what's behind that phrase? What do you think she means by that? Biblical knowledge, Biblical knowledge yeah, not as knowledgeable as lots of other people are. I've not been a part of church culture for long, right? Uh, and I've not been indoctrinated into <laughs> this whole realm of church life. So obviously, she was kind of on new grounds, new new footing, and would she fit? when how many people feel that way you know, in, terms of, in, in church life. Actually, we probably hope there's a lot more people that feel that way. Well, that means there would be new people coming into the life of life of the church. Okay. Any other misgivings that you heard? I think there was a fear they wouldn't be able to keep up the homework Yeah. do the work. Yeah. I think Sean felt that, especially starting a master's program. Would I be able to complete the work uh, there with all this extra work because he was probably full-time employed as well as in a master's program. Now, it was a discipleship group on top of all that as well. Okay. Uh, What benefits did you hear uh, that they had derived from that experience? Growth. Growth? And can you say more about that?
0: Spiritually, in their knowledge of the Bible, of God.
1: Uh Okay. Good.
0: Community and
1: support. Yeah, I think I heard the word encouragement uh, a few times in there as well. So, it's great. Um, and the guy that was worried about his master's, he said even though he, he worried before he went, when he was done, he always felt refreshed and renewed. Yeah, yeah. I, I felt that way at, at times, like, oh gosh, especially if I've had an evening group. Uh, oh, I'm tired tonight. And then, Walk out of there kind of buoyant you know, and excited about. It. Sure, glad I showed up and didn't bail on this whole thing. So that's good. All right. Um, and then, then this last one, which is where we're going uh, in this session, becoming leader of your own group is a big step. What allowed them to cross the line into leadership? What do you think encouraged them to do that? What you heard them each talk about that. They got involved, like they regret. Yeah. And they realized you know, they gained that confidence. Okay. Say hey, I don't have to be an expert, Yeah, yeah. Because I think I think it was Sean again who said, "Gee, what if somebody asks me a biblical question that I don't know the answer to?" And that's got to be a very common uh, concern on uh, the hearts of laypersons uh, that have not had the formal training, you know, that some of us have a bit privileged to have. You know? So. That's got to be in the back of people's minds. I've oftentimes felt for men in particular that uh, the, the same men that I saw so competent in their business life feel somewhat incompetent in church life. Uh, yeah, I've, got, I've mastered a whole approach to my business plan. I, I had one very good friend my church in, in Silicon Valley, and uh he befriended me and we're getting close and I thought this guy was a very successful commercial real estate developer. By, actually, by the time I met him in his mid-40s, he was independently wealthy. And I thought, how did he do that? He didn't seem all that sharp. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then
1: I asked him, Tell, describe to me your business plan. How you went about you know, carrying out your work. And you, he just kicked into a whole different gear. And laid out for me at this ten step process, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, you know that's his world. The church is not his world." And uh, and I wonder how many men are are like that. They're floating around in the context of the church that's maybe more of a feminized society, and uh, they don't feel quite you know like that. So have some of those kind of issues, I think, go on in, in those situations. Uh, anything else on this step to become a, a leader?
3: I like what he said. I don't remember who it was, but uh, when, he, when he said it, when
0: it wasn't about him and the focus wasn't on me, it was he was focused on the others. Yeah, and I find in my groups when I do that, I let just the Holy Spirit lead. Yeah, through the through our study time and our group time, and I really like how he said that.
1: Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I might imagine because uh, one of the things we obviously encourage with these uh, micro groups is. By the time somebody gets to the end of my group, they have all led the group multiple times. So we start with maybe an, issue, an individual leader who is inviting people into the group and maybe setting the tone uh, for the first number of sessions. But we very quickly move to, okay, each one of you are going to lead us through a, a lesson. And uh, they'll, by the time they're at the end of 25 sessions, they will have led multiple times through those lessons and find out that this is not rocket science. <laughs> you know, this is something that people can do in, in that way. Uh, I'm sure that was true for all of those who eventually went on and uh, did that, even with Leslie, who was you know, fairly shaky but got the confidence to do that. Okay, uh, so we want to take a look in this session at a, a couple things, and that's uh, the role of a leader. I'm going to put all those different steps up on the screen here, and you see this on page 8. I think they're pretty much the same, and I'm going to make reference to This book, because one of the things at the end of the book is a leader's guide that goes through all of these steps and kind of explains step by step how you form a group and how you sustain a group. So the whole idea in this session, we will look at uh, the whole issue of multiplication. We're going to depart a little bit from the the plan here because we skipped over something in a previous session that is what we call the multiplication riddle. And uh, the multiplication riddle is how do you actually encourage multiplication? To take place because the the big bugaboo uh, and the kind of thing that we're talking about here is how do we do how do you instill in people a sense of the value and commitment to enter into a lifestyle of disciple making so that there is multiplication Discipleship essentials yeah and yeah <laughs> well, because it's a new cover yeah, yeah. this was be released uh, in uh, January this year with this with this cover. Substantially the same content for those. How many of you have been exposed to Dispositive Essentials already? Right, so, uh, is this a new cover for most of you? So, uh, it was approximately the twentieth anniversary of the book, and so in a she said, uh, "Well, let's let's do a value add. What do you want to add to it?" And I said, "Well, a leader's guide would be a good idea. Uh, something I should have written twenty years ago." <laughs> <laughs> so, added that to it. And I really I think it's a helpful. Uh, process and gives you the similar kind of images uh, here. So let's start from the get-go. Uh, let's go through some step-by-step process of, of forming and then sustaining uh, a disciple-making network within, uh, within our church life. So we start with the intentional driver image uh, this there. So the first step is to pray for the Holy Spirit's discernment. So we root this back into what we looked at in Luke chapter 6, verses 12 and 13, when it says that Jesus spent all night in prayer, and then he called his disciples to him, and from them chose twelve to be his apostles, so we thought, well, that's a, probably a pretty good pattern, you know. Spend a considerable time in prayer, discerning uh, what it is that, uh, uh, who it is that God has called you to in, invest in, and as uh, Randy Pope says in his book, insourcing. Uh, this whole area of who to choose is not a science, it is an art. It is more of the sense of the Holy Spirit's work. Uh, so what are, you, what are you looking for? What do you think you would look for in potential disciples that you would want to have in, in your group, those you're going to approach? What would what be kind of some of your filter uh, that you might have on uh, as you pray about and are drawn to uh, people that you would make the invitation to join you on the journey of discipleship? What, what are some of those qualities? Influencers. Influencers. Okay, people who can. Especially early on in the church. Yeah, sounds like you've already practiced this. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, why would you say influencers, especially early on? Well, you want this to uh, catch on in the church. Uh, if you can find the influencers in the church, and they become the people like who we just saw in the interview. Yeah.
2: They're sold on it. They'll sell it to other people.
1: Yeah. Okay. So you've already practiced this some, and uh, so so when you think of influencers, are you thinking of positional leaders necessarily, or not necessarily positional leaders? Not
2: necessarily positional leaders. Okay. A lot so. of times, influencers in the church are kind of in the background.
0: Okay. Not necessarily deacons or elders. Yeah, or they may not
1: hold. They may not hold an office right. or official position, but they people are. They are people that other people listen to. Right. Yeah. Okay. That's that's very really important. Yeah. Thing. People that follow through, I think that, you know, i faithful men, people that yeah. they kind of do what they say. Right. Uh, we'll follow through with what they say. The yeah. yeah, we think of, you know, when you're especially starting a network that's growing and you make a making a big investment, right? And, you know, so the people that you are investing in, you're meeting for a year, a year and a quarter to so get through something like Disciples of Essentials. And you're thinking oh i I would like to ensure as much as possible return on my investment, and so finding those kind of stable, faithful people that uh, are care sometimes it's not the flashy people it's not the it 's the ones that are rooted. I know my very first uh, college ministry in Pittsburgh back in the mid seventies my some of my best leaders were not the upfront charismatic people that just loved the spotlight. it was the quiet, behind the scenes people uh, that would follow through, and so that what became a you know, a learning experience for me because sometimes I put my emphasis in, um, on the wrong people. Yeah. So yeah, discerning. You know what you have, Paul says in Second Timothy two two. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to what faithful, dependable, reliable. Whatever words you want to put in there, people who can teach others also. So that's a really good uh, criteria uh, to use. You know, at this this particular point. People you love. People you like. I mean,
2: you've got to spend yeah. a year with them, you
0: better.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's true, yeah. I, I, I have a very delightful group that I'm working with now. It's, it's only about three months old at this point in time. And uh, so it, it, it's the most diverse group I've had. So we meet in the, the an office of a businessman who's probably in his mid-50s, I'm guessing. I'm going mean, to ask him in the finance area, and that's kind of a, he's a, kind of a corporate CF, CFO. Then we have a young guy who's 26 years old, just a few years out of uh, University of Southern California, unfortunately, because I went to UCLA. Um, So, uh, but great guy, kind of trained in the whole area of sports management side of things, uh, managing concerts. And then we have an 18-year-old in the group. And uh, he's just graduated from high school, first year of college, and uh, the most voracious, hungry young man I have ever met. Uh, he comes out of an a, a unbelieving home who are actually very op- in, uh, in opposition to his having become, come to faith. And he's just devoured scripture in the first year of his, his conversion. And uh, you can imagine the, the, the joy we have together in that, that particular group in time. I have no doubt that all these guys are going to can reproduce in terms of their commitment.
3: Can yeah, I ask you a question? In, in the selection process, now you're at a place probably where people are approaching you. How much do you depend on your selection of people versus people that are coming to you to want to be involved?
1: Yeah, uh, and this is this is particularly um, what's the word I want here? Uh, discerning ground for people who are pastors. Because people can have all kinds of different motives for why they want to hang around you as a pastor in the church. Uh, so being careful about what the motive is is, is important, because I've, I've made some mistakes along those lines. When I first went to my church in Silicon Valley, I had two elders approach me and say, we want to spend some time with you. And, uh, and as I thought, well, that's nice. I was flattered by that. You know, They wanted to get to know me, spend some time with me. What I found out was they wanted to complain every time we got together about the things that were wrong in the church. And that just was not helpful. <laughs> you know, I, I had to fire that group, you know, and, uh, and let them know. So I, I think discernment about motives is, in, is important there along those lines. teachable, able to learn. Teachability, yeah. And we have, uh, there's a, I think it's after chapter 21 on uh, this book, we have what we call action pages, and uh, uh, where you are then... Uh, Inviting others to join you on the journey. So as you're getting close to the completion of this process, there's a, a kind, of, kind of a trigger point here that says, if you haven't already been thinking about who it is um, to consider, uh, you know, consider those people, and then what are the criteria that you're looking for? And I put loyalty and teachability uh, as uh, the, the two major qualities there. Obviously, Jesus started with raw material uh, in terms of the people that he, he worked with, but they were willing to, to follow him on his terms. I uh, think that's the that was that's the, one of the big key key factors there. Sometimes, uh, every, you know, this doesn't happen often, but uh, when you're trying to pray for discernment and the Holy Spirit is putting people's names on your heart, I had one situation where there, there was a man by the name of Bill who was a uh, real uh, estate planning attorney that we had gone to, and uh, the Lord just kept putting his name on my heart, but I had no evidence that he actually was open to it because. He came to wor- worship with his wife uh, and to please her. And a Great guy, really enjoyed him, but he was obviously not evidencing a whole lot of spiritual openness uh, in his life. Uh, in fact, he would dart out of worship on a Sunday morning and hit the golf course as quickly as he possibly could. You know, it, He was what we call a prisoner when it comes to worship, right? <laughs> so, um, so, But the Lord just kept putting his name on my heart. And so I called Bill up finally and I said, I want to come over to your law office. I want to invite you. I want to ask you something. You know, he was gracious, allowed me to come over. Sat down, told him about this the group that I wanted to start and what it was going to be all about. He said to me, You know, if you'd shown up six months ago, I would have turned you down flat. But somebody gave me the book, The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. I read it and I was convinced by the evidence of the resurrection, and he said, I'm in. And uh, without you know, that doesn't happen too often, but that was one of those, those times when that really worked out well. And he actually became a very strong evangelist uh, himself in terms of his, his gifting. So discerning prayerfully, waiting until God settles on your heart the people that you are going to invite. Because that takes us to step number two, which is make a personal invitation. So what we try to make the distinction here is the difference between a program and a personal relationship. So programs are stand up in front of the congregation, you announce the beginning of a discipleship program, you all sign up for this ten week program, and we'll walk through this curriculum kind of lockstep together. And as I like to say, the same ten to twenty percent of the people from in a congregation who sign up for everything else sign up for that program, you know further in advance. And it's not a relationship. And so the difference here is the difference between uh, uh, announcing a program and approaching somebody, you know, individually and looking them in the eye and inviting them to come on this journey. So uh, you ask people to, you know, that's time. So uh, in my book, uh, Transforming Discipleship, I try to even give you a little bit of a, a script uh, here as to, oops, where I lost the page. Um, of, here, oh, here we go, of what you could a- actually say to somebody, you know, so in case you were need, needing some words. And it goes something like this. Uh, I've been praying about something I would like to ask you to consider. Uh, I'm putting together a new group whose express purpose is to help each of us become better followers of Christ. Uh, I would like you to invite you to meet with me and at least one other person, preferably two, uh, for the week, for, weekly for the purpose of becoming all that the Lord intends us to be. My role is to be on this journey with you. I need a group like this in my life as well. So in a sense, I'm, I'm doing it for me. As I was praying about this relationship with the Lord, puts you on my heart. Would you be willing to consider prayerfully joining with me and one or two others as we grow together to become better disciples of Jesus? So that's a you know, potential script. If you want to know the page number, it's page 117 uh, in Transforming Discipleship. You make, it, you make it your own, of course, in terms of that, that personal invitation. Uh, I want to read one other other thing here, too, because I like the spirit of uh, this particular woman's invitation. Now, this was an email that uh, she sent out to a number of people, um, but I think it captures kind of the feel of the intentional relationship. Uh, She says, Dear friends, I'm reaching out looking for a group of ladies who would like to be in an accountability group with me. Uh, What are we going to be accountable for? For daily spiritual practices and looking to live like Jesus every day. This isn't a coffee or gossip group or even a Bible study group. I I don't have a special book to read. I don't know what's wrong with her, but
0: uh,
1: uh, just a strong desire to know and follow Jesus better and to have some ladies I can discuss this journey with. People I can trust with the big things and mostly my dreams and my failures. A place filled with love and trust, not comparison or judgment. I'm stuck right now spiritually, and maybe you are too. So if you're looking to go deeper with God and in relationship to others, I hope you will consider joining me. Yes, it's one more thing to do each week, but oh, how it could change the hundred other things you have to do. Isn't that good? Yes, it's one more thing to do, but oh, how it could change the other hundred things that you have to do. We were talking in a previous session about you know, the ordering of priority. Oftentimes pastors will say to, to us, and we're asking them to consider this discipleship group, oh, I'm too busy. You know, how can I add that? Uh, to the to my list, and usually that means how can I put this as number eighteen on the list of seventeen other things I have to do? And we're saying no, it's not number eighteen; it's number one. Change your order of your list. <laughs> you know, is the is the idea. I think that's what she's saying here too. Making making God a priority truly is what I'm looking for. If that's what I, that's what I need, if you need that too, let me know. So it's more the spirit of what I think she captured here that I wanted to to help help you with there. So make a personal invitation. Approach somebody individually. Invite them to join you on that journey. Share with them what's involved in, in, the, in the decision. So you need to be upfront uh, about this. So I usually sit down, if we're using something like Discipleship Essentials, sit down with them with the curriculum. Uh, look at the table of contents. Look at the format of the lessons uh, so that they know what is required of them in terms of the weekly preparation. This is not going to be you know, a surprise. Uh, we usually estimate that uh, you get through about a half a lesson a week. Uh, so each lesson has four parts, so if you get to two parts of the, of the four part, um, that's good uh, because you're, you're engaging with each other personally, you're sharing your own life stories, as well as engaging content. Uh, so you're looking at that, you're looking at the four parts of a lesson. If you're using Discipleship Essentials, um, you let them know that it takes approximately you know, one to two hours per week at least in terms of preparation depending on how long it takes you to memorize something. <laughs> so that's probably the big variable. That's the big pushback we get. You want me to memorize scripture? I can't memorize. I'm too old, uh, you know, or those kinds of things. Uh, I had one fellow that, uh, it was mid-60s, I think, when we started, and he was just having a heck of a time memorizing scripture. And one morning, he was just in tears in our group, because I just can't get this. I had my wife quiz me on it like, over and over again. Everything inside of me said, give this guy a pass. You know, his tears were kind of overwhelming. I mean, fortunately, I didn't say that. I said, Mick, you know, just keep at it. Just keep at it. And it, it was so good for him that he had a breakthrough in terms of his ability to memorize and come prepared and to think that he wasn't deteriorating mentally. You know, and that he can actually, you know, do that. Because we memorize other things all the time. but. Uh, sometimes scripture is, is harder. So share with them what's involved, uh, the amount of time um, that's there. And it, this is important because uh, how many of us leave, leave, live busy lives? <laughs> yeah. is your, are your days full? <laughs> and so you're asking somebody to show up for an hour and a half a week, 90 minutes, time commitment, You're asking people to spend the time c- completing the material. So you're up to at least three plus hours, uh, extra hours a week that maybe that you had put in your schedule before. So one of the things I oftentimes ask at this time is, do you need to review your schedule and drop anything out of it so that you can make room for this? Um, So I think that's an important element uh, for people to consider uh, as they review their schedule. So to make this a a centerpiece in your life, um, it may require some reordering uh, of your priorities. Uh, review the covenant, uh, so that's step number four the, of what's involved with that. Um, there in Discipleship Essentials, again, there is an intentional covenant that we gather around. We spent some time in the last session looking at the importance of a covenant, why covenants are, are valuable, uh, what happens if you don't have an overt covenant that's an explicit covenant uh, to follow, and, and the value of it, which kind of requires people to step up, or evaluate their, the energy that they're they're putting into it. So I want to walk through the elements of a covenant. And when I usually say, because there are five points here: complete the assignments, meet weekly, offer myself fully, I contribute to a climate of honesty, and give serious consideration to replicating this this experience. Then I say to them, "What do you think you're committing yourself to by committing by?" In this covenant. I don't want them to just read that and say, yes, I'll do it. I want them to articulate what they think they are committing themselves to. Uh, when they hear themselves, and then we, when we get together for our first time, we go back through the covenant. Uh, we, again, I ask them you know, the questions uh, like, uh, you know, what do you think you're being asked to do? Uh, could you put in your own words uh, what the covenant is explaining to you? What expectations does this create for you? Uh, those kinds of things, and then we have our signing ceremony, you know, of signing the covenant and putting a date on it, Uh, and also included in this material is after lesson 8 and lesson 16 is an opportunity to review and renew the covenant, so you're going back to it, uh, and you're asking yourself explicit questions like, how am I doing, am I completing, am I, you know, how would I rate myself on each of the five elements on the covenant, am I on a scale of one to five, five being I'm doing a bang-up job and five being I'm not doing very well, uh, evaluate yourself. Uh, we don't ask people to evaluate others. We evaluate ourselves and then share that with, with each other. Um, so what have been the benefits for you during this period of time? You know, Let's celebrate what God has done uh, during this time. And then, sec- then what disappointments have there been for you in relationship to your expectations? And that's an opportunity where people do have some uh, some disappointments, we can say, well, let's, let's revise the covenant. Let's, is there something that we need to do uh, here to, to change our commitment level to each other you know, at that point in time? So going back to the commitments, I think, is, is an important element uh, there. I know I'm always flashing back on previous experiences when I'm going through this, but I think it was my second group that I had at the church in Chicago where I was for 10 years, and I was I was, I was was disappointed in the level of depth of, of transparency that we were experiencing. I had a couple of guys in the group that just really had a hard time going to personal places. Anytime we got too close, it was like, let's throw in some red herrings and uh, get, get us off, off track. So I think it was the second time we reviewed and renewed the covenant. I said, you know, I wish we could stick with the personal issues in our lives and uh, be more open with each other and, I see when we get a little too close, it's kind of like, "Mm." And the third guy, who was uh, new to all this whole experience, he was a retired fire captain, he said, Greg, you don't understand. This is the closest I have ever been to any men in my life. And I was evaluating that group based upon previous group experiences where we've been open and honest with each other and he was rebuking me, <laughs> basically saying, "This is the best experience I've ever had uh, with men," and I didn't—I wasn't catching that uh, because I had this filter of my previous experiences with that. So, um, so ask uh, to point number five here. Ask to prayerfully consider the invitation. Uh, again, what I oftentimes say here at this point is. Uh, don't tell me right now. Um, so I've made the invitation. I'm there and present. Uh, I want you to pray about this for a week and see if God has called you to this particular group and evaluate your time schedule, and then let me know in a week whether you are in or out. You know, on, on this. So having that kind of time and having them the uh, opportunity to consider uh, their own conversation before the Lord as to whether they're in is, I think, is a very important important time. Step six, uh, set the first regular meeting and get started. Uh, so we'll get, get going on that. Um, the nice thing is with a group of four, you usually can, uh, what I usually do is we just pick a time to have our first meeting. Uh, let's just see if we can get together. And then from that first meeting, let's find out what the regular time is. Uh, we will you know, We will get together. Usually there's some seam in the schedule that works for everybody. Uh, that you can figure out. And that's the nice thing about a small, small, small group, or a micro group, is that it usually can fit that into your, your schedule. So just set uh, initial meetings, all get together. Uh, guide the participants through the, through the initial sessions. Uh, as the one who would be calling the group together, I would kind of set, um, the, set the, the pattern there uh, of both how we do some of the personal sharing time uh, in the leader's guide that you have in Disciples of Essentials it gives you some suggestions of how to, how to get started, uh, because what happens usually at the beginning of a group, if people don't know each other all that well, is there's some, some anxiety about this experience. Will I like these people, I and I want to spend a year with these folks, and I want to do something right away that gets us into kind of some personal sharing about our own story. So uh, there's, like I said, some suggestions of the kind of things that you can share together. If all the members are married, I usually have them share, tell me something that was an embarrassing moment during your courtship with your wife. Um, so I've got my own stories of that, and then we laugh with each other about you know the things that happen. And laughter reduces anxiety quickly. And you're starting to enjoy each other in terms of these common, common issues and other things that you can do. The first few groups, few sessions, I have them take 10, 15, 20 minutes a person to give us the faith journey. You know, tell us the arc of your, your, of your following Christ. When were you closest to God, when were you furthest away from God. Who was influential in your shaping of your understanding of, of your faith? Um, where do you feel your needs are now in terms of where you need to grow? And what, tra- what attracted you to be a part of a group like this? share those kinds of things right up front, and uh, it begins to create the relational glue uh, that holds you together you know, in, in that fashion. So um, model transparency. So it's been obvious, often said that the groups will uh, be as vulnerable and open as the leader. So to the extent that you're willing uh, to share some of your own areas that you need to grow in, uh, the better. I think with that, um, one of the areas in my life that has had been a and still continues to be at times um, a major um, challenge for me is I I had a lot of area, a lot of trouble with fear and anxiety in my life. And so in terms of my growth in the faith, um, the thing that stopped me in my mid-adult years was just this sense that this world is unsafe. Uh, that I would have, be overwhelmed at times with, with fear and anxiety. i take my back to a period of that time when I had to go and find help you know, for this in my life. And there was a major impediment to me of understanding that I was really a beloved child of God. It was the blockage that, that I had in my life. And then I do stuff that's more current as well. Because we have areas of, whether it's challenges with our own home relationships or whatever it may be, that we are, are open and honest about those in our life. And then finally uh, on this list is hold up the model of, uh, or the value of multiplication. So uh, what we're trying to hopefully see happen in these groups is that people own this sense of I'm uh, being discipled to make disciples and enter that for a lifetime. And this, I think, is the biggest challenge that we have: is getting people not only just to reproduce for one uh, time—that's sometimes a uh, challenge—but to adopt a lifestyle of discipleship, disciple making, I should say. Uh, There, and uh, I'm going to ask Ralph to come up at this point because we skipped over something uh, earlier that we called the riddle of multiplication. And they they ran into this in their chart. But let me before we even do that. Let me pause for questions, comments about these these steps, uh, things that you want to pursue further. Yes.
3: Um, if we've already started to do this with one person,
1: and we would feel like led to ask another person, is it okay to
3: um, incorporate them if you've already been in a few weeks, or should yeah. you
2: wait and restart?
1: I think if you're early on. Uh, and would want to share with the person that you're and You know, saying the reasons obviously why you might want to add one or two other people. If you're not too far down the road, I, I would say yes. Otherwise, if you've been meeting quite regularly for some time, um, that may be difficult. Uh, uh, so unless the person uh, it depends on what you've been doing with that individual, and maybe if you're moving to a more structured approach to things, then it would be appropriate to make a shift and say, let's add add somebody that point in time. So, how long have you been meeting with this individual? Um, we've been meeting probably for a few
3: months, but we haven't we've gotten, mm-hmm. kind of gotten too far in the lessons because life happens,
0: and we yeah. talk about our life. So, okay. I felt led to ask someone else, and they know each other, so I don't think it would be a, oh, okay. a big deal. Yeah, well, that would be. Um, but I just wanted to see what your perspective was. If it's
3: if it's building, if those are building, if it's detrimental to have them kind of jump in.
1: Uh, may, probably not, but I would certainly check it out with your, the person that you're with and say, you know, how would you feel about it? Uh, it was, would this be an intrusion uh, for you, or is this something that uh, we could add? So it have to be a kind of a mutual commitment, I think, to, to make that happen. Don't do, don't do it unilaterally, <laughs> uh, for sure. Other questions, comments? Never quite sure whether the silence is. I've been so perfectly clear... <laughs> there's no thing further to ask. Okay. When you get to the point
2: of asking your group to multiply and then pray about yeah. it, do you end your group at that point and say we are no longer going to
1: meet? Uh, that's a good good question. Maybe Ralph will even follow up with that, That maybe a good transition uh, for you in terms of, but we generally, and it really varies from group to group in a sense of what the frequency is of follow-up, and oftentimes we will, the groups will, Request Can we check in on a monthly basis? Can we meet quarterly uh, to really we have something so special going here with uh, with that? And those are, you know, I'm talking about them as competing values. Once you've had an experience of closeness and covenant and, and shared life, and sometimes this is the first time for many that they've had, a, had this kind of depth of relationship, obviously you don't want to lose that. And, uh, and yet at the same time they're saying, oh, we're going to break up and go find other people. So there's the value of community. There's the value of multiplication, reaching out, going beyond yourself. And they feel like they clash uh, with each other. And in some ways they do uh, with that. But so to preserve kind of that multiplication focus, we say, yeah, there's a shelf life. But there's also ways to say, yes, we've had a special relationship. Let's continue to nurture that as well. So Ralph? Should okay. we Oh, uh, do that multiplication? Yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll find go back to the... So jump right in. There we go. Re- reproduction, little as I was We call
3: this the secret sauce. <laughs> how to make how to make them multiply. Uh, we, a lot of people talk about reproduction and multiplying and replicating, and uh, I've read most of the books that talk about it, and I still find that they, they fall a little short on making it happen as far as my experience is concerned, and that was the thing that really intrigued me when I first read Transforming Discipleship by Greg Ogden. Um, I, he's, he's talking about the replication, and I could see it. And if, Have you seen the multiplication chart? Anybody see he has it in the he has it in his books he does this multiplication chart in the uh, first lesson. chapter 1 mm-hmm. the end of chapter 1 uh, there's this chart where he he takes out the he shows you what multiplication does you know if you if you're if you're a zealous evangelist and you can lead one person to Christ every day for a year how many people would you lead to Christ in a year mm-hmm. now if you're a zealous disciple maker and you disciple one person in a year, how many are there at the end of the year? Two. There's just two of you, okay? And ready to multiply again, okay? Uh, you run that, run that down. You lead somebody to Christ every day for ten years. Well, at the end of ten years, you've got three thousand six hundred and fifty new converts. That's a good-sized church. You're, you're doing great, okay? Most have uh, fallen away. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and here, but but the disciple now he's got a thousand. 24 disciples, just one a year. He's now up, they've doubled every year, and they're up to 1,024. You get on year 12, and all of a sudden um, they're almost even, and in year 13, now the disciple has twice as many disciples as he's got converts who's still winning one to Christ every year, or, or every day. Uh, the multiplication, I think Jesus knew the multiplication rule, really. I think he understood the multiplication miracle uh, that's there when you multiply like this and what's going to happen if you multiply. It takes long-term vision to do this. People want to say, I was a pastor. I know. I want to get everybody in my church involved. This is great. Let's get everybody. We'll sign everybody up. I wanted to see everybody do it right away. And it would have killed it. It would have killed it. First of all, my staff wouldn't let me. They they read the book too. And they said, no, no, no. Greg said not to do that. Don't do that. (laughs) So they kept pulling me back. And keeping me from do, doing that, and, I, and I, I'm so grateful that they did, because we would have wrecked it. Um, you can't do it. You can't rush this. You can't microwave it. It's something the Holy Spirit does. He does it in his timing. He grows it his way. But the long-term results are far greater than the short, short distance. So, um, multiplication riddle. We did, as we started to multiply... Over the first several years, we just saw these things doubling every year, and it was just amazing to see how it happened. But then we got into year three and a half, year four, and the percentages started going down of the replication. You know, not, not everybody—well, not everybody multiplies anyway. You know, you, you're getting—if you get seventy-five percent, you're doing great. Uh, but we were going down to about fifty percent as we were watching this thing. We weren't, we, and we thought, okay, we, we're going to make this one of our um, one of our goals for the, for the year is to solve the multiplication rhythm And so we did. We, we started to study it. We took it apart. What's causing it? What's causing the problem? And how do we solve this? And this is what I have here. And i want to share some of these things with you. What are the barriers uh, to multiplication or reproduction? Uh, <clears throat> some people are just relationally challenged, right? <laughs> they, they can't make friends anyway. And so they don't have three friends. Now, you, this thing is based on your having an ability to invite somebody into your group. Some people, they can't get the first words out of their mouth. They just stuck. They won't happen. Um, what do you do with the relationally challenged? Ideas? We're not looking at the earth. <laughs> What are some ideas that you think might work with a relationally challenged person?
1: Pairing
3: with another yeah. Yeah, So we take the, the relationship, put them with somebody who's not relationally challenged, and send them out to do it. I've got a group right now that just finished uh, Lesson 25 uh, two weeks ago. And one of the guys in there, he's just not very personable with people. He just doesn't, you know. But he, he I, one of the guys in the group is really good at it. And so we're pairing them up and trying to help them that way. That's one of the ways, is pairing them up. Uh, it seems to work. Um, <clears throat> Insufficient training. Okay. Maybe you haven't emphasized it enough. Maybe they haven't gotten it yet. That's the expected part. A a lot of people go into this uh, discipleship thing like this and they're thinking discipleship and not disciple making. A couple days ago or yesterday we talked about the difference between those two words. Discipleship is about me. Disciple making is about other people. Some people go into these groups because they want to be disciples. They want to grow in Christ. Perfectly uh, noble. Objective. However, that's not the end of our objective. Our objective is to help them become disciple makers. Because Jesus said, Go into all the world and teach them to obey all that I have commanded you to do. What's the last command? Make disciples. And if they're not making disciples, they're not a fully obedient follower, right? Yeah, that's what that was the first thing that captured me when I was a pastor. You know, somebody said, Can you can you can you tell me Jesus' last command? Well, yeah, I'm going to all the way to make disciples. Can you name his disciples? Well, yeah, I can name a bunch of them. You know? Now name yours. I didn't have anything to say. I, I, I didn't have any disciples. I didn't know, you know, okay, I preach on Sunday, and people come to you know, listen, but is that making disciples? No, I knew it wasn't. And I didn't have any to name. Um, that'll stop most pastors. It, 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 anywhere you go. Um, so <clears throat> insufficient training you, you've got to help them understand from the very beginning this is what, you, what what we're about we're training them to do this and yeah it may be difficult for some but for some of them it's not how many of you think you could lead a discipleship group right now raise your hand how many think that you know people in your church or your sphere of influence who would probably not be able to raise their hand you know some people like that <laughs> you know, yeah yeah um, I usually say, can you can you repeat after me? What did you get for question three? <laughs> you can lead a group. You can ask that question, what did you get for group? Know, that's that's what we're asking to do. The Holy Spirit's doing the work. He's doing the transformation. He's teaching. The, it, our, our part is just to create this environment and say, what did you get for question three? Or what What'd you get? What would you get? You can handle it. And that's what you help them do. And so that's a part of the training. You walk alongside them. You help them understand uh, what's it, what's involved. Lack of vision is another part. And that's I love that uh, chart for that reason. You cast the vision for what multiplication will be. I had a gal in my church that was so excited about reaching women. And so she'd do these great women's <laughs> programs. And, you know, they... they, they of these little biscuits you dip in coffee. You know, they make scones and, do Scone. and you come and, you, and they, they do fashion shows and, and all these and they'd have testimony. And it were wonderful events and she'd get you know hundreds of gals to come to these events. Um, but that's all it was. She would impact them for a couple of hours once a month and that was the end of the impact. And my question to her was, you know, what, where do you want to have your, where do you want to invest your time? And impacting at a you know two-hour level a month kind of thing with these guys. Or you want to see their lives change forever and see them changing other lives. Uh, in the long run, in the long run, you're gonna have far more impact uh, by making disciples. Lack of vision, obedience factor. Now, that's the command, right? That's why we're doing it, because Jesus said to do it, first of all. Um, and that's convicting enough. Uh, poor modeling. Um, they're not seeing the models yet. Yeah. Question. Yes.
0: When we were thinking about the multiplication, even when we go back to the Jesus model,
3: Jesus did it three years. Yes, he
2: did. And we're taking a new believer and sending them out to make disciples in under, in a
3: year. A year, year and a half, right. Year, year and a half. Okay. What is... Wouldn't have you had any training? Have you had any training? Okay, okay the question is, for the microphone here, the question is, uh, how long does it really take to disciple people? Can you do it in a year, a year and a half, or does it take longer than that? Jesus took three and a half years with his guys. Okay, and I think that's a very valid question. I don't really feel like my guys are discipled until they are discipling disciples, until their disciples are making disciples. I'm not done with them yet. And so the question at the end of the session before what do we do after you finish Discipleship Essentials, I don't drop them. You know, I still go back uh, in, in the back. Um, we, we have, uh, I have my first group that I go back to Camarillo and I still meet with them. My first group that I did 20 groups ago. I still meet with those guys when I go back just to check in with them. We talk on the phone now and, and stuff like that. We, we text back and forth. You'll never lose that relationship. You spend that amount of intensive time with a group of guys or gals. You never lose that relationship. It's going to continue on. Um, and so you just continue discipling them. You continue encouraging them and working with them. Uh, and, and the guys that I'm working with now, we meet once a
1: month. Too. Ralph, I'm going to have to step in here because we're at 9.59. Where does an hour go? Uh, <laughs> it's just... Flies by. Sorry, we didn't probably cover as much as we could, but I know you have other other places to go. Most of you probably don't, because you're going to stay right here, right? So I hope so. Um, Follow through. What are
3: we doing next hour?
1: We're doing the next uh, the third element on this successful journey is reproducible process, and where we can look some at curriculum and the value and importance of curriculum, uh, or a transferable tool to put in the hands of people so that they can be using it to disciple others, and we'll be looking at that that pretty good value. The GPS uh, um, will be the, the last element here. If you have these cards, Regan, Claudia, uh, come up and collect these cards, if you would, please, uh, in the back there. Thank you. Uh, we'd love to have you fill these out and let us know of any ways that we can be of help to you. Um, that would be terrific. Um, Regan, do we have any cohort descriptions back there? So anybody who would like a description of our our cohort uh, online training a two year process uh, be delighted to share that with you and uh, so feel free to get that for Regan but to, to pass your cards to to Claudia there um, just want to thank you for coming to this session and I hope we will stay for the rest um, maybe we'll even pick up right where we left off here if you're still still around and uh, catch capture some of this stuff uh, feels like we're trying to put you know five pounds into a two-pound bag, but, uh, you know, (laughs) sometimes to cover all the content. But hopefully this has been uh, of help to you as you are thinking about your own processes over there. So uh, let me just close this in prayer, and then uh, we'll see, we'll have about a 15-minute gap between when we start for the next session. Lord God, I thank you for uh, all the people represented here in this room Um, all the people who are in this room and and the ministries that they represent, the influence that that they have. I just pray your empowerment upon them. May your Holy Spirit use each person here uh, to fulfill your great commission of making disciples who make disciples. And uh, to the extent that what we have done here today and throughout these sessions has uh, been beneficial and empowering, we ask that you will use it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode. Make sure to check out and download for free the visual primer for the book Disciple-Making Culture. You can download this at discipleship.org slash ebooks. Until next time.